This is Ken Forster, Executive Director of Momentum. Welcome to our Digital Industry Leadership Podcast, produced by, for, and about digital industry leaders. In this series of conversations, we capture insights from the best and brightest minds in digital industry. They're executives, entrepreneurs, advisors, and other thought leaders. What they have in common is like our team at Momentum, they are deep industry practitioners. We hope you find these podcasts informative as always. We welcome your comments and suggestions. Good day and welcome to edition 138 of our Digital Industry Leadership Series. Today is truly a pleasure to welcome Dr. Gaddy Lenz, Chief Scientist of Urban Software Institute, a producer of smart city software platforms and smart mobility solutions. Dr. Lenz has been at the forefront of smart city and mobility innovation for almost two decades. After receiving his PhD in electrical engineering from MIT, he worked at Bell Labs conducting research in optics. He later co-founded Codios Communications, a startup focused on high-speed optical communications, which he sold to Finisair. In 2005, he was part of the 4D Security Solutions founding team, a Homeland uh, Homeland Security Systems integration company where he led major products, including advanced physical security for the major New York and New Jersey airports. He later served as CTO and chief scientist at AGT International, where he was also technology leader for major projects, including border security, critical asset security, safe city, and smart city. He went on to become CTO, Intelligent Power Platform of IOTECA, a startup providing hardware and software for enabling vehicle grid integration. He has published close to 100 scientific peer-reviewed papers, as well as numerous articles in trade journals, and holds 17 granted patents. Gaddy, welcome to our Digital Industry Leadership Podcast. Thanks, Ken. It's, uh, it's a real pleasure, and uh, I'm looking forward to our conversation. Uh, as as well, one as as is in the case with a lot of our other speakers, uh, it it has been too uh, too long since uh, since we were looking to do this. So I'm so glad we finally were able to connect up. And and number two, very particularly for you, given that uh, that that long entry there, there are so many angles that we could take this in terms of uh, the conversation, but. Uh, we love smart cities, and uh, and you have truly been at the uh, forefront of uh, smart cities and smart mobility. So, with that in mind, maybe we started off a little bit in terms of you know what I'll call your red thread of your leadership journey. W- you know, what would you consider to be that red thread? Um, I would say uh, over the last fifteen years or so. Um, it's been really um, the notion of interdisciplinary, large and complex systems. So when I was doing research, you know, it was optics, optical communication, which is a fairly wide field, but still, you know, somewhat uh, focused. Um, when I uh, was when I started into Homeland Security Systems, I discovered uh, an entirely new world, which. Um, is uh, like so many um, other other systems, uh, highly interdisciplinary, uh, has a lot of moving parts, hardware, software, networks. Um, and um, I found that to be um, really, really um, challenging and and giving me the opportunity of learning so much new stuff. And of course, smart cities are, um, uh, are exactly that. They're highly large and complex uh, uh, 
uh, well, social and economic systems, but uh, but now uh, in smart cities, we're we're producing technologies that that support these uh, complex ecosystems. Uh, it, it is interesting to think of the IoT or industrial IoT or smart cities as a use case as complex and interdisciplinary. It's a it, it, interesting way to look at it. Uh, otherwise, we usually say it's 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 big and uh, full stack. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and you know, it's uh, it's really interesting times because I I feel like. Um, well, now, but starting maybe 10 years ago, we're sort of in a perfect storm because um, hardware, data, and analytics have all sort of gotten uh, a huge boost in the last decade, sort of together. And so, you know, suddenly things that were truly unthinkable just a decade ago are are um, are now uh, possible because of this sort of conjunction of... of uh, technology, um, uh, you know, central parts. Hmm. You know, when we get to uh, the AGT discussion a little bit later, we ought to, we ought to raise the top of IOTA because th there's one that you called well ahead of the curve and uh, you, uh, you deserve some uh, notoriety <laughs> for that. So, you know, uh, it was interesting. You, uh, you came off of what I'll consider to be a storybook uh, beginning, you know, PhD at MIT, five years at Bell Labs. You could literally pretty much do anything you want at that point, right? If that's the beginning of your story, you know, the end of the story is certainly multifaceted. But I love the fact you quickly jumped into, you know, entrepreneurial, right? Your first startup, Codios Communications. Yep. What uh, what inspired you to make this move? And, you know, what were some of your wins at the time? Um, well, you know, it was, uh, it was interesting times. And, I, you know, just as an aside, I had a master plan. You know, it's ridiculous. I was 30 years old and I thought I had a master plan for the rest of my life. I was going to go back to academia, blah, blah, blah. But, uh, <laughs> you know, life takes you on unexpected side routes. And what happened uh, was uh, at Bell Labs toward the end of the 90s, I was in optical communication. Uh, telecom exploded. And... Um, you know, literally, I was getting cold calls, um, you know, twice a week uh, and on the weekends and, uh, with with ridiculous offers. Um, and um, a lot of my friends and colleagues sort of, uh, you know, made the jump. And so it was sort of a combination of um, seeing new opportunities and a chance at new experiences that I, you know, didn't you know, didn't consider in the past that it, it took me out of my comfort zone for sure. Uh, but, um, you know, uh, it was a wild ride. And uh, in terms of uh, some of the wins, uh, you know, as I always tell this story, because as a researcher at Bell Labs, you know, if you're an experimentalist, um, which I was, um, you do an experiment, you publish a paper, and you're done. And then the rest is engineering detail, you know, a very sort of uh, arrogant approach. <laughs> and uh, doing Codios taught me humility um, in, in many ways, um, because the base concept is, is usually easy and making it work once in a very controlled setting in the lab um, is, um, is also, you know, I found out really easy. Uh, when you have to design a piece of hardware, which we did, that, that went into the core of the network at 10 gigabits per second, which was state-of-the-art then, 
um, and it has to have a certain um, uh, size and certain, you know, power dissipation. And, you know, uh, it has to withstand shake and bake, what's, you know, what a lot of people know, um, uh, to make sure that it doesn't break. And, oh, by the way, you gotta, you got to sell it for less than $2,000. And, you, you know, your first thought is, oh, that's not that's not possible. But we, <laughs> you know, we assemble just a fantastic team um, of engineers and and um, other professionals. And, um, you know, one of my uh, one of my proud moments was really um, taking something, you know, the proverbial napkin of, of my uh, co-founder, uh, Jason Stark, and Mati Kohavi, who comes up later in the story, um, you know, taking that napkin, turning it into a product, selling it, uh, selling it to some of the largest players, and having it deployed in the network, um, you know, for me was uh, w- was great. Um, and um, you know, I consider it a win. And uh, especially since you know, unfortunately, there were, as you know. A lot of people who, during that same time period, had to close their doors, lose uh, lose money, uh, lay off people, and um, um, we we managed to uh, to make the whole thing work. So, um, so I consider those things uh, uh, wins for sure. Yeah, clearly, and uh, um, it, it clearly hooked you as well because uh, it looked like you took uh, another blank napkin over to 4D Security Systems to uh, co-found that company there as uh, as well. So, what, what's the origin story for 4D Security Systems? Um, well, um, you know, uh, 4D Security Systems came uh, into started. Um, relatively a short while after 9-11, so around 2003, 2004, um, my friend and, uh, again, Mati Kohavi, I have to, have to give him credit there, um, he realized that um, there was such a thing as a homeland security market. When, By the way, there was no homeland security um, um, office or, or thought yet. It was mm. it was coming together. Uh, now I'm talking commercially, of course. And at the time, what happened was that as people were realizing, okay, we need some uh, we need some some technology solutions for homeland security. Um, by and large, it was usually large defense contractors who um, did it. Sort of, I wouldn't say as an afterthought, but certainly it wasn't in their focus. They they you know people like Raytheon and. Lockheed Martin make planes and missiles and stuff, and um, uh, and so this wasn't really the the main uh, bread and butter for them. And um, the realization that Monty had was that you need a homeland security solution that does just that and nothing else. Um, and it was it was an interesting journey because it took us a year or two to figure out what is this market. What ought we be developing and what ought we be selling? Um, and some of it was shaped by, uh, you know, um, you mentioned earlier in the uh, into intro, we, we did uh, with Raytheon, we did a huge project for the physical security of uh, major New York and uh, New Jersey airports. And, um, you know, they sort of the, started, they and, and many others and, and many other related um 
Homeland Security Project sort of started defining what it was that that a Homeland Security company, technology company, ought to be building and selling. Uh, so, so coming in the, during those early days and um, having uh, also um, collaborations with uh, large defense contractors, both in, in the U.S. and in Israel, was uh, was fascinating. Um, and again, uh, huge interdisciplinary pro uh, projects. You know, when you think of how do you protect an airport. Um, with with the best technology that you have with ground surveillance radar and thermal imagers and whatnot, um, and, and how does this whole thing then play together? Um, huge huge uh, uh, interest and and challenge for 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 me at the time. Yeah, I can imagine. And uh, you've mentioned uh, Mahdi uh, Kohavi um, uh, before. Mahdi went on to found uh, AGT International, and I believe you you went over there shortly afterwards to join him as chief technology officer and, and chief scientist. That is where I believe we all met way back when. You guys were very close to uh, Cisco, as I remember the original yeah. IoT uh, you know um, world uh, um, conferences that they were doing at the time. AGT was always at the center and being featured there. So true high flyer in the what I'll call the smart city spaces. Um, what were some of your key wins there? And uh, we'll save IOTA for a short uh, discussion after. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, AGT kind of came into being because uh, once we did 4D security solutions, which was domestic US, uh, the, the clear question was, why not elsewhere? Um, and that was sort of the beginnings of AGT International. Um, so, you know, we did some really large um, um, projects uh, in the Middle East, uh, starting with, uh, with border security um, and then, you know, critical infrastructure, which, you know, by and large were large oil and gas installation, which were on land, at sea, on shore, you know, real, again, real large stuff and really complex stuff. Um, and, um, you know, that took us later to safe cities. So so smart cities um, in 2005 and 2006 wasn't quite a thing yet. Um, I think there were certainly people who were talking about it, but it didn't sort of have the um, uh, the name recognition that, that you know, uh, even... Uh, you know, lay people are familiar with these days. Um, but safe cities was a thing. Um, and so uh, so that was the next thing we did. Um, and, um, you know, that 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 also had a lot of uh, of of uh, concerns that have only become, I, I, I would say, come into focus, which had to do, you know, with surveillance and 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 privacy and um, and many other aspects uh, which um, uh, are are of much greater concern, let's say, they, than they were back then. Uh, but you know, placing twenty thousand video cameras in a city, um, you know, was uh, was also sort of a, a new toy and and. That led quickly to smart cities because one of the things we realized at the time is 
we had put in place a lot of smart infrastructure into the cities to do uh, security, but a lot of it uh, could be reused, you know, assuming the different stakeholders, um, you know, could work it out. You, you now had cameras at, at strategic points that, that you could use, for example, for, for traffic control. Um, which, you know, these days is, is kind of par for the course that, uh, you know, you've got, you've got, you know, you've got cameras everywhere all the time and are using them for, for traffic and security and, and, and other purposes. Um, but yeah, in, in that sense, AGT had some early wins, uh, I, I think as you indicated a little bit ahead of the curve, um, um, and uh, again, that's uh, that's what made it fascinating. Um, I should maybe, uh, as an aside, I should just you know, AGT was uh, for a geek like me was was such a great place to be at because we really, um, you know, there was an appetite to just attack anything that uh, that seemed interesting, seemed to have a market, and seemed to have customers, and um, um, you know. Yes, we started way back from security, but we ended up doing a lot of, as you said, smart spaces, um, smart cities, and and one of my favorites ended up being um, a smart home for elderly population. Um, I think we talked about that way back also, and um, you know this notion of of you know in the developed world, a lot of people who want to grow old at home and. Um, but want to do so in a safe and secure way, and they don't want to. They don't want to have the um, the sort of um, feeling that that uh, someone is is watching them. So uh, there was a lot of uh, interesting tech in doing non-obtrusive monitoring and uh, creating a product that uh, that was a smart home specifically for for the uh, for the elderly and uh, of course what's what's great about that you tell that story to anyone and they there's immediate recognition and empathy because everyone has a story about their dad their uncle their great mud their grandmother uh, whatever so uh, so that was also under the auspices of AGT and uh, it was it was a great great project I do remember uh, discussing at the time, and I think uh, you know generally considered to be what age in place is the term I've I've heard used quite a bit yes. now, and uh, very compelling use cases uh, as you said, uh, and and an interesting one. The aside that I threw out earlier, IOTA, this was a project that, that one of the last projects I remember working on with you guys, where the idea was you know could we put effectively analytics in the cloud, right? And do all the data yep. collection at the edge, but do the analysis at the end. And at the time, that was still pretty uh, early on in terms of the migration to cloud. But I thought it was very interesting the way you guys had, had considered it. I think Madi even announced it at the last of the uh, Cisco events. Yeah. And, uh, and at the time, but uh, man, you know, you, you fast forward a couple of years and, you know, we have C3, uptake, you know, on and on and on, right? right Companies right. That, uh, that, especially in the uh, digital industry space, have done very well in it. So another point where you guys uh, were very early pioneers in that. Yep. Yeah, it was, uh, um, you know, I would say, again, because we're, we were a little early on the other stuff, um, um, we we uh, 
we we just you know and doing the large inter interdisciplinary complex projects that I described you know you crumb across this stuff and um, and, and you know of course IoT has become such a big thing but but you know um, when you go back to to engineering practices of the 80s and 90s uh, you know before IoT actually you know IoT Internet of Things was coined in 99 I believe. Um, but way ahead of that, there were uh, what's called cyber physical systems. Um, you know, where if you talk to engineers from from back then, they're like, "Yeah, we did that." <laughs> you know, yeah, we had sensors back then. You know, and and we used them, you know, largely for for control systems and others. But anyhow, we came across a lot of the uh, a, a lot of the uh, building blocks and a lot of the use cases early on. Um, so that, you know, when we were, when we were doing IOT projects, um, and, uh, and everyone was building, you know, what I would call IOT connectivity platforms, which, you know, just connected proprietary sensors and data sources and then sent them somewhere. We recognize that that's, uh, the important first stage, but then, you know, what do you do with the data? And usually, is you ship it to someone else, you know, to uh, um, to IBM or or something like that. And um, we thought, well, you know, that that uh, you know could be done that way, but but why not do it in a more um, targeted, uh, you know, way? And and also think about the fact that, you know, we saw a lot of this coming, you know, edge computing was also sort of a new thing and fog, mm -hmm. which Cisco coined. Yeah. Um, these were all new things. And, and we were saying, well, you know, if, if you're going to if you're going to have some, you know, uh, non-trivial um, compute uh, at the edge and you can do, you know, some of that. Uh, some of those analytics there and and then just do the heavy lifting in the cloud, we should have, you know, sort of a uh, non-interruptible um, pipe if you want. And, and if you control that pipe, you can also, you know, think of um, where do I want to do the compute, given that bandwidth is not for free. Um, you know, you can do a lot of stuff in the edge and, you know, people were shortly thereafter were starting to put a lot of, you know, for example, uh, compute power and power and cameras. So rather than sending, you know, crazy video back to some cloud, now you're um, really just uh, sending relevant stuff because you've done some of the analytics on the edge. So, so IO, IOTA sort of came from that real realization. And again, it was just the fact that we had a fantastic team that consisted both of of, of hardware guys, but also of you know really top notch data scientist, again, a term that was kind of sparse back then, you know, data science. I remember <laughs> seeing it for the first time in, I don't know, 2010 or 2012, and it was not very well defined, you know, it's all this stuff. And um, so we had some some really uh, good, uh, good people in that domain as well, which, you know, let us come up with this concept and work it out. And uh, yeah, that was, uh, again, Super interesting.
Oh yeah, yeah. I, I, I even from the outside in at the time, I uh, I must say I I, en I envied you guys uh, in terms of the work that you were doing. So earlier we talked about kind of two threads, if you will, smart uh, smart city software, smart mobility solutions, and how they're um, they seem to be converging at least in your career. I know. Um, it, now you've joined Urban Software Institute as a chief scientist there, and and really running both sides of it. Um, what are you tell us a little bit about Urban Software Integrated or Institute and uh, some of the work that you guys are doing there? Um, so Urban Software Institute is a uh, German for-profit um, um, software company that's uh, been. Uh, uh, that was founded uh, in 2013 by Professor Lutz Heuser, who uh, for a while was uh, was at AGT as um, as overall CTO. Um, right after coming off a long career at SAP um, as um, VP R and D there, and um, uh, he started up Urban Software Institute um, to create, you know, wh what. We had also considered um, at AGT building a um, an, an urban or smart city platform. Um, so today at Urban Software Institute, we talk about urban data platforms, and um, um, we uh, basically provide you know the data infrastructure and data management uh, platform as a service. We connect data sources uh, through um, connectors that we build and uh, develop. And, you know, at this point, we've got roughly 110 of these connectors that we've um, that we've developed for, for various sensors and systems. And if a new, a new sensor comes along for which we don't have a connector yet, it's usually, you know, it's, it's a matter of a couple of weeks of developing something. So, um, so we connect those data sources, uh, we manage the data, and we've got analytics embedded in in this um, platform. We handle real time, we handle historic data, and um, you know we we produce um, useful, as we like to say, actionable uh, information uh, to our customers. The customers being typically. You know, the mayor, the CIO, um, whatever the case may be, other decision makers in the city hierarchy. Um, we have, uh, uh, we're headquartered in Germany and, and uh, most of our sales and projects are in Germany, but we also have um, branches in, in Hungary, in the UK, and in Australia, and as you know, working also on the US. And um, um, yeah, that's that's kind of the bread and butter of, of Urban Software Institute. Um, we also now have uh, sort of um, daughter sister companies that uh, were founded um, for more uh, specific um, solutions. Uh, one being smart mobility, which is called Urban Mobility Innovations, and the other is our um, only place where we actually touch hardware and do system integration, which is called Urban Lighting Innovations and is focused on smart street lamps and uh, smart street lighting. So so this notion of, uh, you know, 
street lights that have sensors embedded in them and that are connected uh, and uh, and uh, have edge compute and have various ways of uh, connecting to a back end and and so forth. Um, so um, so by this point, Urban Software Institute is is really um, able to um, to address many many urban um, related uh, problems, customers, markets. Um, and as you said, I'm, I've, I've been, over the last uh, year or so, I've been very focused specifically on smart mobility. And you know, to your question, smart mobility is really becoming one of the most important pillars, I think, uh, in smart cities. The, um, you know, you've had almost two decades of experience with smart spaces, safe, safe cities, as you called it earlier and such, but you've lived pretty much every phase of the uh, Gartner hype cycle. And, uh, <laughs> I know you and I had some early discussions uh, and, and experience, I'll call it the trough of disillusionment that yeah. so much of smart cities really ran into, uh, that yeah. AGT clearly did as as well. Yeah. You know, if I talked with clean tech investors, they'll talk about uh, the same thing, right? Trough of disillusionment. I've heard some people talk about clean tech too. And I heard a, a large institutional investor the other day use the term clean tech three to, re you know, referring, of course, to, you know, the upswing they're seeing relative to the Biden administration, a lot of mm. the uh, new policies that are there as well. So let me ask is, do you see a smart cities two coming and does it have a similar trajectory to, you know, let's say the clean tech two or three in terms of next wave? Um, I think so. Um, uh, whether it's going to be smart cities two or, or something else, I'm not sure, but, but you're right in the sense that, you know, early on we were, we were all struggling with, with use cases for smart cities and, and even earlier on, people were saying, well, smart cities is bringing broadband to the city, which is, of course, uh, important, but but far from the real, uh, you know, more, um, uh, the more far-reaching stuff that's, that's seen today. So I would say that, you know, today there's a much better understanding um, of, of what smart cities are. You can also see this, for me, a good indication is, is standards bodies. So, you know, in 2012, there was nothing. A couple of years later, uh, British Standards Institute came out with a couple of things, mostly ignored. And today there's just dozens of things going on that have to do with smart cities. And that's usually, to me, also some indicator of maturity. Um, and, and I think mostly uh, stakeholders and, and cities became better at, at understanding what technology can do for them, what digitalization can do for them, or digital transformation can do for them. And, um, uh, you know, there's, you don't have to struggle as more as, as, as you once would have um, to figure out, you know, what a smart city solution ought to be just because you know you're getting tenders and and the market is is kind of defining it um and there's there's truly new paradigms like you know smart mobility again um almost completely absent a decade ago uh but now in the shared economy you know we we have shared mobility it's cars it's scooters it's bikes we have on-demand transport we've got uber 
We've got autonomous vehicles around the corner, although I think that's probably going to take a little longer. Um, you know, and, and somewhere in there, there's also, you know, still the talk of drones delivering pizza and, and stuff like that, which, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm a little bit yeah. more skeptical about. But, but I think things like that in, in the realm of mobility and, and similar things in, in other disciplines like, like energy and, and air quality, you know, air quality is also a great example Air quality monitoring, you know, a decade ago uh, was, you know, real, real large hardware on on roofs of big buildings spaced at, uh, I don't know, a few kilometers apart and, uh, you know, specialized knowledge, et cetera, et cetera. And today, you know, there's uh, there's outfits that will sell you. Um, you know, um, they'll sell you hardware and, and software and, um, you know, for a couple of hundred bucks and you can install it in your balcony and you can go on a website and see all the installations of your neighbors and you can get real time data on your immediate, you know, uh, um, in your immediate neighborhood or in your, you know, in, in the city where you live and you, you can make decisions on, oh, I, I better not, you know, use my bike in this particular area because air quality index is really crappy today. So, you know, again, this is going back to the perfect storm. You know, once once you can build these sensors and, you know, you got some kids writing an app and, and uh, you know, a little bit of software in the cloud and, you know, wow. Um, so all of these things, you know, uh, Certainly, um, cities are now well aware of, and and they want that kind of stuff. And, and the the last thing I'd, I'd emphasize is data. You know, I I know it's such a cliche about data is the new gold or data is the new oil or whatever, um, but you know it it kind of really is. And part of it is because data is available. Again, something that you couldn't quite say a decade or a decade and a half ago. Um, you've got just massive amounts of data sets out there that are accessible to anyone, um, and uh, and you can you can build fantastic applications uh, on top of them and, and offer you know fantastic services. Um, and uh, and now the challenge is you know um, how do you go about handling that data? And that's something that we're also highly involved in. It's a Europe-wide um, project called Gaia X, which deals with uh, not who, not only who can access the data, but but how they're allowed to use the data, and and you know trust in in data, and and a whole bunch of concepts which uh, are now off the drawing board and and being implemented just because it's become actually a political topic. Mm. Yeah, in fact, I was uh, sat through some of the Hanover sessions last week, and Gaia X was uh, certainly right up there with uh, data sovereignty. And yeah, you can exactly. listen to one without listening to the other, and uh, and so I think you're absolutely right. Perfect storm. Um, certainly, COVID has uh, you know been an accelerator, uh, a digital accelerator, as we like to say, in many ways yeah. as well. When uh, so when you're not uh, busy um, working at Bell Labs, being a PhD at MIT, <laughs> or uh, a serial entrepreneur, or uh, you know pursuing really cool companies and working in cool companies like uh, Urban Software Institute, uh, where do you find your personal inspiration? Um, well, you know, I'm uh, I I 
I'm still a geek at heart, you know, um, even though I've sort of been on, on that scene between technical and, and biz dev somehow and, and project management is needed. Um, I'm still a geek at heart. Um, I'm still an IEEE member, so I still, uh, you know, get IEEE Spectrum and I read it religiously. Um, being an MIT alum, I get MIT Tech Review in, in, in my post box uh, for free, which is also uh, amazing to me. And, and they actually also, they're a high quality journal. And, um, um, you know, believe it or not, um, I'm a New York Times subscriber and um, I read a lot of tech stuff on there, but also a lot of other stuff that's uh, become interesting to me and you know, a lot of social aspects and, and things like that. And um, um, yeah, and uh, you know, I, I, maybe last but not least, I, I still watch quite a bit of TV here and there. And um, I like interview shows, um, you know, both serious stuff like Amanpour and and on the other side, Bill Maher. And, um, you know, a lot of a lot of times they uh, they interview really interesting people. And a lot of times those people have written books. And so, you know, this usually leads me on on really interesting journeys and, you know, and uh, uh, really interesting people. Um, you know, one of the last ones that uh, really caught my eyes. Uh, you may be familiar with him. He's a professor at NYU for marketing called Scott Galloway. Um, he wrote a, a, a book called Post uh, Corona. And uh, he, he made the point that you just made that COVID was, uh, was an accelerator. Um, and he goes into, uh, into some detail in, in analyzing it. And I watched the interview with him. It was just it's like, wow, there's a lot of stuff I haven't thought about. And I went out and bought the book. And so um, so it's stuff like that that uh, that many times provides inspiration. And um, uh, yeah, and other than that, the usual stuff, I still love to travel and, you know, hang out with my kids. When, 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 when you're able to travel, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So. Well, speaking of interesting people, Gaddy, thank you so much for spending this time with us today. Well, hey, Ken, it was a true pleasure. I always I love our discussions and uh, I hope we can do it again, you know, uh, in a podcast or, or otherwise. And uh, I look forward to the day where we can see each other face to face again. <laughs> Amen. I've, I'm still looking forward to finally being able to uh, to step into Israel for a first time. So, uh, uh, since last year was was blown up due, uh, due to uh, COVID. So, so this has been Dr. Gaddy Lenz, Chief Scientist of Urban Software Institute and a lifelong practitioner of smart spaces. Thank you for listening, and please join us next week for the next episode of our Digital Industry Leadership Series. Thank you, and have a great day. You've been listening to the Momenta Digital Industry Leadership Podcast, produced by, for, and about digital industry leaders. We hope you've enjoyed the discussion, and as always, we welcome your comments and suggestions. Please check our website at momenta.one for archived versions of podcasts and webinars, as well as resources to help with your digital industry journey. Thank you for listening.